<clears throat> rookie mistake or something. Anyway, it's good to be back. I was on vacation last week, um, and now that I'm humiliated, we can get started. Um, <clears throat> so in our gospel reading, Jesus says, uh, temptations are sure to come. Um, and then he warns the person uh, through whom those temptations come. And uh, there, there's kind of a language issue here. Uh, actually, in this whole like section about temptation and sin and repenting and forgiving. Uh, because when we hear temptations are sure to come, um, we tend to think about that in terms of distracting things will pop up that might cause us to be a little naughty or something like that. Um, but the language here used in Greek is, um, it's actually pretty unique. Um, it's, um, uh, when, when Jesus says temptation, he's using the word skandalon. We can, we can kind of hear the English word scandal. Um, the meanings aren't related really, but it means something more like a um, stumbling block a snare, a trap, something that you trip over, something that you grab, or uh, excuse me, something that grabs you. Uh, and I mean, it's true, it makes sense that there are plenty of things in life that we can trip over. Uh, but let me give you maybe like an example to explain the distinction. When Jesus here says, temptations are sure to come, um, and woe to the person through whom they come, he does not mean like a buddy of yours coming up to you and saying, hey, did you hear about Bob? Oh man, he did this, and there is now this, and he has this, in other words, gossip. That's not really a stumbling block. It would be more like... Um, Somebody who is um, kind of on or on that pathway to recovery or sobriety, and a guy comes along and says, "Hey, you want a beer?" No, no, no I'm I'm sober. I'm trying trying this out. No, 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 come on, just have a have a beer. Come on, come on, just come on. What's it gonna hurt? And then, as some friends of mine um, in recovery would say, one turns into twelve, turns into handcuffs. That's a stumbling block. It's not just like a temptation to do something wrong. It's something that you trip over and you end up skidding and falling out and away from everything that you hold dear. So Jesus begins this little section with the... the the kind of scary warning that there will be things that we encounter that can trip us up. And, and, and really, he's talking about something that may pull us away from faith, from what it means to follow Jesus. These are, these are big things. These are uh, encountering um, maybe deep tragedy in your life. And somebody comes along and says, see, what's the point? Shouldn't God have protected you from that? You know, that, that's a stumbling block. 
But then Jesus says, woe to the person who, through whom they come. It'd be better if they had a big old stone tied around their neck and they were thrown into the sea. And for us here in the desert, a sea is a very large body of water. <laughs> Just FYI. I got to translate things, you know. Um, now, I mean, growing up and in different churches that I've been involved with, um, the, the, the preacher or teacher or whatever would, would then take this and say, see, therefore, don't ever be that person. And that's true. I mean, you don't want to be the person over whom stumble. Like, if you have a bunch of friends who are trying on sobriety, you don't want to be the one, like, you know, kind of pushing them to drink. Uh, if somebody is, is just in the depth of despair, you don't want to be the one who starts sowing seeds of the opposite of faith, saying, see, God should have protected you from that. Obviously. Um, but I don't think that's ultimately the point that Jesus is trying to get across here to his disciples. Because if you remember a couple of weeks back, Jesus was talking about uh, the kingdom of God like a shepherd who goes after the sheep that has wandered off. Well, in the same way, if somebody is acting like a stumbling block to those who love him, that does not please him. That does not bode well for that person. And so the image that, Je that, that Jesus is painting here is of a God who will go after his own, who cares about those who harm his people. See how that works? It's a little inverted. So yes, I mean, don't be that stumbling block, but realize that when things pop up and challenge our faith, it doesn't mean it's the end of the world. It just means that we don't have everything figured out. Now, G hold that thought, by the way. Jesus then continues, uh, and, and he talks to, he's still talking to his disciples, and he said, if somebody sins against you, forgive them. And if they sin against you seven times in a day, which feels like a pretty busy day, um, keep forgiving them. Now, interestingly enough, in that you know, section of that paragraph, the language shifts. It's totally different from the language of scandalon and scandalizo, uh, which is like the stumbling block thing. Um, he's talking about something different. In this case, it's uh, more of the classic, like if somebody sins against you, if I come up to you and I just insult you to your face, I have sinned against you. If I come up and I steal something from you, I have sinned against you. If I dishonor you, I have sinned against you. And what Jesus is saying here is that my followers will be marked by radical forgiveness. And that is really, 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 really hard. 
Uh, I don't know about you, but when I hear that idea of, of radical forgiveness, it is a really, really beautiful, nice image until I have something to forgive. And then, um, and then I don't like that. <laughs> I would rather tie a millstone around their neck <laughs> and throw them into the sea. Which is, I think, how those two different ideas start coming together. Um, somebody who proclaims to be a Christian and yet refuses to forgive will be a stumbling block to those who are struggling to figure out what it means to follow Jesus. While at the same time, somebody who proclaims to be a, or claims to be a follower of Jesus and has been harmed and is struggling to forgive, uh, just, just fighting with it, uh, they've been cut deeply and they're trying to heal. That's a beautiful thing. Even though it's incomplete. And then you have kind of that next step. If, if a brother uh, or sister, of course, uh, comes in, sins against you like seven times in a day and, and, and so on and so forth, at some point you have to start asking, is my being here just making it really, really easy for them to sin? You know, if somebody has a tendency to be violent towards you, verbally, physically, whatever, over and over and over again. I mean, forgiveness is one thing. It's another thing entirely to say, you know what, I'm going I'm, I'm to stop creating this situation where this keeps happening. That's the most forgiving, loving thing I can do. And I'm going to walk away. I'm not going to hold that against you, or at least I'm going to try and heal from that. I'm not going to let that grow into resentment, because that's what forgiveness is. But I'm not going to be that stumbling block anymore. Um, it's amazing how much we can talk about like three or four verses, right? So, as Jesus is, is, is painting this picture for his disciples, that um, things will come by to challenge our faith. And that's okay. God cares about you so much that he takes issue with those who are actively being those stumbling blocks from your faith. That God calls you as his follower, to be somebody who radically forgives. But who also knows that sometimes maybe the most forgiving thing I can do is take a step back so that this doesn't keep happening. The natural question is, okay, how do I do that? <laughs> Because nothing that I've said here is easy. I'd be the biggest hypocrite in the world if I put up some kind of persona like I've got this figured out. Like, don't talk to my wife after this message. 
Um, cause, uh, and so the disciples, the disciples immediately ask after this, Lord, increase our faith. And I think that, that question is inserted there because it recognizes the impossibility of this. Like, how do we orient ourselves in such a way that we can forgive and find ways to heal from those who have hurt us the most. And then Jesus gives us a little insight into what it means to have faith. He said, if you had faith the size of a mustard seed, you know, this is the first century Judea, uh, for them the, the mustard seed was the smallest seed that they, they knew of. Uh, they didn't know about spores and things like that. So if you had, it's kind of like, all right, quick, think of the smallest thing I can think, think of. If you had faith like that, you could say to a mulberry tree, get up and, and walk around. Jesus is not being literal here. Like I said, Jesus is not a wizard. But his insight on faith is wildly important. Because sometimes we talk about faith as though it is something that we have and that we do by which we earn God's favor. If we talk about somebody like, oh, that has great faith, they, they really believe in Jesus and, they, and, and you can see that faith playing out in everything they do, it's easy to look at that and compare and say, yeah, but man, I don't have that kind of faith. You know, you look at Billy Graham, <laughs> Mother Teresa, you know, the big names, and go, man, I can't do that. I don't, I don't have those skills. I don't have that kind of faith. I don't have that kind of devotion. And what Jesus says is that's totally irrelevant. That's the wrong question. If you had faith the size of the smallest thing you can think of, you could do amazing things. Because faith is a gift. Faith is not something you earn. It's not something you do. It's not something you develop. It can be something you cultivate, but be very careful with that. And I'll tell you why in just a second. I mean, we believe and we get this from the Bible that when that water hits you in your baptism, you are marked by faith. That is God's gift to you. It's not based on your behavior. It's not based on your getting things right. It's not based on the amount of temptation you do or do not give into. Faith is just a gift. Welcome to the family. You've done nothing to get here because it's God who has dragged you kicking and screaming into the death of his son and out the other side into new life. That's why Jesus says, faith the, side, or the size of a mustard seed. And yet, If we cultivate a life of faith, give it a little room to grow, 
and expand. Um, water it with the right things. Spend time in worship. You serve those who desperately need you. You find ways to minister to people. You are generous and you tithe and, and you spend your time serving others and you read your Bible and do your devotions and, and all of that kind of stuff. You'll find that your relationship with God can become very deep. It, you, this faith that God has given you can become extraordinarily important in your life. And that's a good thing. And keeping in mind some of the earlier things that we've talked about, uh, you, you learn what it looks like not to be a stumbling block, but also you learn a little bit more about what it means to forgive. Unfortunately, human nature being what it is, it's very easy to take a step back and say, look what I've done. Look how good I am. Look how pious I am. I memorized the book of Genesis for fun. That's an example. Please, I, I know like the first verse. Um, it's easy to look at the faith that is cultivated in your life as though it were a tower that you built. And then at that point, you fall into the trap. Really, you stumble, which is kind of the way that first word that Jesus used works. You stumble into this idea that it's your faith that you have cultivated, that you think you have built, that becomes the reason for God being pleased with you. And that's, I think, why Jesus then ends this little section with an odd sort of parable. Because he, he, he says, envision somebody who has a servant. And say, you know, the, you're coming in and your servant has been working. And then he says, would you then basically serve the servant? Feed him and take care of him and stuff like that? I mean... Remember, this is the first century, so Jesus is using stuff that makes sense in the first century. No, obviously not. No one ever does that, period. He says, instead, the master comes home, and the servant finishes doing that, gets himself cleaned up, prepares the meal, and serves his master. Why? Because that's his job. That's what he does. And then Jesus then twists the knife and says... It's just like us, just like you. In the end, you're just doing your job. It's your duty. And so looking back at everything we've just talked about, this idea of, of finding ways to heal, finding ways to embody radical forgiveness, um, we've got this image of a God who gets really irritated by, by those who specifically throw those traps or those stumbling blocks in the way of his children. Um, but he also, Jesus has painted this image of, of radical forgiveness and, and wisdom in that forgiveness. 
Um, he's, he's given this, this image of faith that can do amazing things. And just in case we feel either this temptation to say, look at my life of faith as I have followed God. Look at all the things I've done. Look at who I've become, how much I've grown and matured and all the things I know. And Jesus pulls the rug out and says, yeah, you're just doing your job. That's it. Because everything that you've been given is just a gift. Don't use this as an opportunity to make yourself look or feel more important than you really are. Jesus himself embodies this. And if anybody here had a reason to look at what he's accomplished and done and who he is and... and mean it, it's Jesus. And yet Jesus actually doesn't even follow his own parable. At the end of his life, he's the one that's getting on his hands and knees and washing his disciples' feet. He's the one that's preaching peace in the midst of violence, knowing that that violence is going to consume him. He goes to his death for you. He goes to his death because of us. And when God raises him from the dead, there's this new thing that starts. This family that you are a part of, that is noted, ideally, as one that is about radical forgiveness, radical grace, that seeks healing and reconciliation rather than revenge and violence. Whether that be literal or metaphorical depends on the situation. And in the end, that mustard seed tiny little bit of faith that apparently can change the world, it's just a gift. Amen.